0: Welcome to the Kids First Podcast, where we talk to educators, school leaders, policymakers, and charter school acolytes about their stories. We always start with why here because it's not just about a job, occupation, or field, it's about why we do what we do. Hey, I'm your host, Chris Neely, as the superintendent of the South Carolina Public Charter School District and the father of three amazing kids. I have seen time and time again the pain that a lack of access and choice in education can cause. But I have also seen the beauty and joy that educational autonomy can create. So thanks for listening and for coming along with us here at the district as we learn more about putting kids first and why it matters. Welcome back, friends. Welcome to the Kids First Podcast. It's great to be with you again. And this week, we've got an exciting guest. We've got a good friend of mine that's been a movement maker in South Carolina when it comes to school choice and charter schools. Please welcome the superintendent of the Charter Institute at Erskine, Cameron Runyon. Cameron, welcome to the Kids First Podcast.
1: Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here with you today.
0: It's good to be with you too. You know, you and I have a really interesting story. We first met about five years ago. Uh, I was a former school leader at a charter school up in Greenville. I served as an advisor to the South Carolina Public Charter School District, and it was at that time when I first met you, and and you were creating and really growing a brand new charter district in South Carolina, the Charter Institute at Erskine. You were doing something really innovative. You're very you're an entrepreneur. You're a business guy, so you think differently. Like me, you're not a traditional educator. We come from very similar backgrounds coming from the business world. But we met then. But at that time, the Charter Institute at Erskine and the South Carolina Public Charter School District weren't exactly uh, getting along real well. Um, For some reason back then, you know, competition, people felt threatened by that. Um, You and I both believe that competition actually just makes us better. But when I was named the superintendent of the South Carolina Public Charter School District back in 2020, the first thing you did was you reached out to me. Uh, We broke bread together at the Kingsman over in Casey here in in Columbia, South Carolina. And you said, look, let's let's see how we can work together. And you presented to me uh, what became the foundation for a memorandum of agreement where the two districts would come together in partnership to put kids first. So I want you to talk a little bit about kind of your perspective of the the lead up to that that lunch and learn, where we then grew and developed together with these two districts. Just an amazing movement.
1: It, it really has been, Chris, and thank you again for having me. Um, you know, I think to really explain it, you really for me, you have to go back as, to the sort of beginning of the journey, for me, which which went some years prior to um, that season when we had an opportunity to come together. You know, I grew up in a small rural community in South Carolina and really got to see firsthand, except for a few families, what the dearth of educational opportunities were like in those parts of the state. And so uh, increasingly, as as I lived longer and I had my own children, I really began to feel a burden to do something about that need, to address that need. And so that's what ultimately led me to explore the possibility of starting charter schools to reach in to reach into communities and to give every child in those communities an opportunity to achieve their God given potential. And, and I didn't believe, and I still don't believe uh, that we're there yet. I don't think we've arrived at that point where every kid who wants to has the opportunity to achieve their God given potential. Um, but I knew you had to start somewhere. And so I wanted to start by opening charter schools specifically. And, and that's where I first came into a relationship with the public charter school district. And as those of you who know the story know, um, uh, produced an application to the public charter school district. Uh, it was denied by the public charter school district. And that was the moment, the inflection point that really led to the creation of the charter institute at Erskine, because even though the application was denied and, and it was a difficult day to be honest, it was, um, you know, well, you
0: put a lot of, put a lot of effort and, and thoughts and dreams behind the idea of a school.
1: Right. So it, it was a, it was a hard day. Um, but looking back, you see that you know things happen for a reason, and there really are no accidents. There's are coincidences right. in life, and so the need had not changed. There were still children that didn't have the opportunity. You know, our application had been denied, but it didn't change the reality of the need still existed. So that's how the Charter Institute was birthed shortly after that, and of course, that you know the, the public charter school district at that time was the only statewide charter authorizer, and all of a sudden. You know, there's this new upstart uh, showing up uh, with these, you know, great ideas, and that created a really challenging season uh, because you know you end up sometimes and schools whether they should or shouldn't is is, we can debate that, but there's a natural inclination to sort of play mom against dad sometimes, and so now there was another parent in the room, and and so that created a lot of turmoil in the market, and and so I think we all sort of learned to live together. It was a challenging season over a couple of years, but then once you came in it really came back to that need is still there. And the way that we address that need is most effectively and efficiently is we have to work together because the goal is is the next generation, is transforming a generation. That's our goal at the Charter Institute. And so if the goal is the most valuable thing, then we need to make sure that we're working together collaboratively and collectively so that we're able to achieve that goal of, of transforming a generation to the end that every child has the opportunity to achieve their God-given potential. So that for me was was sort of my journey, and it's certainly been a delight uh, working with this district and, and the relationship to see that pivot that happened. And, um, you know, we we remind our, our staff and our teams, and I remind my own family, you know, in life, you know, you're going to go through seasons where there's conflict and you're going to go through seasons where there's peace. It's, it's very important during your seasons of conflict uh, to remember that, Oftentimes the people that you were organizations that you were once in conflict with, you you may be co-laborers at some point in the future. So always value those relationships, value the individuals in in their own humanity as individuals, uh, despite the issues that we may be fighting over in a given day. And don't lose sight of the fact that those relationships ultimately are important. And I think that's what we were able to do together is to really focus back on that relationship in response to the need of South Carolina. Yeah. And you and I also
0: just share very similar philosophies. You know, family is 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 priority number one with God. Uh, we care a lot about our country and we care about our communities. And we both believe that if we can give every child an opportunity for a high quality education, it's going to open a lot of opportunity for them in, in, in America and and whatever they choose to do, whether it's serving our country, whether it's starting a business, or maybe even being a superintendent or a, or a teacher, giving children hope. And there's so many children in our state who, quite frankly, still don't have a choice. And so, you know, I think us going through this journey together and creating new high-performing charter schools that give those children that choice, give parents an option um, – I think it's going to transform our state. Now, you and I both are free market people, and so when I look at the problem that occurred when you applied for a for a charter with the South Carolina Public Charter School District and, and then were denied, you know, that was market failure. But out of market failure comes other opportunities. And so being the entrepreneur that you are, you said, well, there's going to be another way that we can figure this out, and you did that, and you've done it very successfully at the Charter Charter Institute at Erskine. And it's been great to to watch you and your journey and, of course, your strong leadership over there and the team and the culture that you've built. And I've I've been trying to do the same thing here, is, you know, rebuild the culture, uh, build a, a strong team that views all of our schools as customers, provide a high level of support. And so, you know, we're real focused on that. And I know you care a lot about supports, and being a value add, and and not taken away from from our schools, so they can focus in the classroom on the most important thing, and that is the kids. Now, talk about your your kind of your personal why, because you also like me. So we started this podcast with a conversation with my wife Janie, who, for our listeners that don't know, actually works for Cameron. Uh, she's the director of authorizing at the Charter Institute at Erskine, and. So you know we talked about our shared why and our son Marsh, who by the way goes to a charter school, Clear Dot Charter mm-hmm. School, which is one of your schools, yep. and so we've just got this this interconnectivity between the two of us. But but you exercise school choice as well for your own kids. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, and, and let me just say uh, that we Janie is just an absolute delight, and uh, we love having her here uh, as part of the Charter Institute. And of course, we love having Marsh uh, in our school as well. And just y'all's family is just very near and dear to, to all of our hearts. And so thankful that our, our collaboration goes beyond a professional collaboration, uh, as well. Um, yeah, so I do have, I have four daughters and, uh, four, three of the four are school-aged and you got your hands full. I I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Marriage season is going to be really interesting in a few yeah. years, but oh, yeah. uh, for the pocketbook uh, too. Yes, I mean, we're waiting for them to start dating. That's going to be a lot of fun too, I'm sure. But um, very pretty girls at that, so it'll be an interesting season. But I was in a uh, had my oldest daughter in a traditional uh, school program in Richland. One um, that program was not meeting the needs uh, of our family, both from an academic standpoint and, frank- frankly, candidly from a cultural standpoint. Uh, as well I didn't feel like that what was happening in that school building fit with the the cultural values of of our family and the things that we value as a family so we made the decision to begin to homeschool and so we had a number of years where our children were part of a homeschool co-op where they would go to two days a week and for three days my wife would be primarily responsible for their instruction and then uh, during COVID with all of the disruptions that that created everywhere it also created it in the homeschool market and so we chose for our children a virtual education through one of our virtual charter schools so it's been a it's been a great experience for us that we've, we've done sort of done it all now we've done the traditional route we've done the homeschool route the co-op route and we've done uh, the, the charter school virtual charter school route and I think we've been in the virtual charter now for either three or four years at at this point. So it's, uh, it's been great for us. And, you know, that's, that's really what, what drives is you have your own personal experience, but it, it parallels what a lot of people's experiences are that they, they really want that opportunity for their children. They need to find what works best for their children. We didn't know we were young parents, and this was our first child at that point. And, you know we said well we'll go to the neighborhood school and we realized well that doesn't work for these reasons and then we'll do a homeschool and well that actually worked pretty well until covid came and then it didn't work that well uh, and, and then the virtual school for us has has really worked well so that's it, it always comes back to that need and for me is that what is the big goal and the big goal is to give every child the opportunity to achieve their god-given potential and so having these two organizations scale and with the new funding formula that we have in the state of South Carolina it is now a fully scalable, sustainable funding model. Yeah, it's a
0: difference maker.
1: Um, I, I think we're just going to see the opportunity anyway for, for us to grow, and I know that's that's our plan at the Charter Institute. I mean, my hope is is we're going to add five to seven thousand new students per year for the next five years. Um, you know, I, I say that out loud now. That probably would have gotten me shot a few years ago, but but that's just where we are, and the demand is there. And and what changed fundamentally from five years ago to this year, I think, in some measure, was COVID, and people families, parents in particular, they had a much more intimate awareness of what was happening uh, with their children, for, for good or for ill, in some instances for good, but in some instances there were things that they were concerned about, and so for the parents that are concerned, we now charters have become one of those avenues where they can move into a system or a structure, or a school that better fits the needs uh, of their children, and so as you know, at the public charter school district, is the same at Erskine, the demand is absolutely off the chart. Um, we've got a school we're going to open in the fall that has 2,000 student slots. We already have 6,000 signed up to get in, and that's in a high-performing traditional district. So the demand is out there. People or parents are aware they're awake uh, now, and they're looking for that opportunity because their most valuable asset, their most valuable thing that they have are their children, and they want to give the best opportunity they can for them, and that's what we're doing. We're giving them that
0: opportunity. Well, and they only get one shot. Yeah. I mean – you just can't afford to take too much risk with your own children. I mean, it's like we've got to find the right program that's going to meet their needs, where they're going to thrive and grow. And whether that's a virtual school, charter school, like like your girls attend, or whether it's a brick and mortar, like Clear Dot, where Marsh goes, you've got to find that right mix. I mean, all, I've got three kids. Every one of my children learn differently. Well, that's no different than any other family in South Carolina. Yep. And so whether it's... You know, and look, it could be the traditional school down the street might be the best fit. Maybe there's a program there that where that child will thrive. I just know for you and me, you know, we live in the city of Columbia. It wasn't working. And so we both needed something different. And And thank goodness for charter schools. But again, I go back to there's so many kids in our state. We talk often, Cameron, about the corridor. Uh, unfortunately, we call it the corridor of shame. You and I both refer to it as the corridor of opportunity all those kids along the, the corridor who are in low-performing schools and they have no way out. They can't afford a private school if there's even a private school close by. There are not many charter schools because you and I are trying to figure that piece out because it it is tough because charter schools don't get money for facilities. We don't get money for transportation. So we have to be very creative about how we do that. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges we have but the opportunities you think we have working together to really transform charter schools and education in our state.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, they're parts of the state, and again, this was my burden getting into this, was to reach into, you know, not necessarily, although we do have a lot of schools in in the areas that, that have pretty good educational opportunities already, but really to reach in the areas that didn't. Um, and so one of the neat things about the Charter Institute, I would say, and some, some challenges that will come with that, is that we now have students in every single zip code in the in the state of South Carolina which is sort of unique and that is really because of our virtual footprint and so we we do see that opportunity in certain areas where we're able to provide a virtual option but as you know the the communication infrastructure namely high speed internet uh, is lacking in some parts of the state and so that that's a you know that's an issue that we have to contend with as well and I think why you don't have perhaps as broad of a proliferation into the I-95 corridor and other areas of virtual education. The, the other limiting factor with a virtual school re- reaching into those communities is that virtual education, and I speak as a parent, is really tough. It's very tough on parents. It's, it requires a lot of self-discipline and motivation and structure on the part of students. It just doesn't work for everyone. And Even with a stay-at-home mom in my household – you know who who basically puts eight to ten hours a day into it's a full time job. It is providing support for them. You know, it's still a challenging education environment. Now they're growing as a result of it. I can see my girls have grown a lot, but it took a lot of, of parental support, and we're very blessed that you know we had the ability for my wife to be home and to and to work with their, our children on a daily basis, but. Um, that's not necessarily the norm anymore. Um, so there's some limiting factors, which is why I think, as you think, that we need more brick and mortar opportunities uh, in those areas. And there are there are challenges. I think the legislature did a phenomenal job, and the governor this year helping to overcome some of those limitations with the way the new funding formula is structured. That and that uh, came because of our relationship exactly. working with
0: them the last three years.
1: Precisely, and that now there's a greater. Um, financial waiting to support students in poverty, which as we know, those areas are high poverty. Uh, so we, we have some projects we're, we're working, trying to figure it out. Uh, we have a, a project going up in Orangeburg right now, a school that, that we're working. And actually, yeah, that
0: one's real exciting.
1: Yeah, we're helping to incubate that one. Uh, but I think that's the kind of thing that we're going to have to do as authorizers more and more in the rural areas, because they they don't have in some areas, they don't have, I'll just call it the bench, you know, that a, that a Greenville County might have a, an area with a lot of commerce and, and, and a lot of educational opportunities. I mean, these communities, some of them, and I'm not speaking to anyone specifically, but, you know, some of them candidly have been hollowed out uh, over a number of years. And so we as these organizations, I think, have the opportunity because we have expertise we have staff, we know how to build teams, we know what's needed. We work with a lot of schools, we know what works, we know what doesn't work, frankly. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I think working together, we have the opportunity to help bring some of that, at least intellectual infrastructure, you know, into those communities and, and help places, you know, like the I-95 corridor and, and other areas to begin to build those brick and mortar operations. And and once you once you start to get them up out of the ground and you start to get students into those buildings. That's where you start to get the generational transformation effect. Because if you you put a good charter school in a rural community in South Carolina, um, it's only a few years before you're going to start to turn out graduates, and and so yep. and so now you begin to rebuild from the ground up uh, the community, and it's teaching not just I think academics, but so many places in South Carolina, the students, the families, the children they have to learn how to how to live well again they have to have to be taught the principles of what does it mean to be a responsible capable employee what does it mean to be a responsible capable american what does it mean to be under a higher authority and that's an issue that we see in in a lot of areas particularly in high poverty that there's a, a general lack of understanding about I'm under an, a higher authority. When I work for an employer, that's my authority that I'm under, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You know, you need to be under authority. We all do. Every person from the president on yep. down is under a... You uh, and I
0: have boards that we, we answer to. We have boards
1: that we answer to, and that's why it works, because it makes us accountable. accountable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that I think if we together want to want to reach in and really impact these communities and impact generations, it's going to take that extra lift uh, on on our parts working together with each other and and with those communities as well to make it happen and successful.
0: You talk like an economic developer when you talk about uh, education and going into some of these rural areas. You know, we talk about you know our Department of Commerce and our state will make investments and give incentives to businesses to go to a particular area. I tell people all the time that I don't think there's a better investment we can make than a good quality public school in these rural communities. And it it does rebuild. It, 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 when you see that growth coming out of there, being able to create a good, solid, trained workforce, then that is really what is going to attract business back to these communities that for, you know, 100 years have been going backwards and quite frankly losing populations this might be a chance to bring a lot of a lot of people back, but we talk a lot about innovation. So in the Charter Act, you know, innovation is a big part of what the legislature expected of charter schools, but innovation can look different over time. What maybe have been innovative 10, 15 years ago might not be so innovative today. What are some of the things that you're seeing right now in, in some of your schools or maybe some of your new schools that are going to be opening on the horizon that are pretty innovative?
1: Well, you know, there's the saying that um, necessity is the mother of of innovation, right? I mean, it's need. And so you that's necessity means need. So you look at any community around the state and and the way I see charter schools is a charter school is just a vehicle. So you've got an existing need in a, in a given community, whatever that is, it may be economic development. It may be cultural. It may be, you know, just they need a decent education. It could be a lot of different things. Um, And then you have the need and then you're trying to get over here to where that need is met. And then the charter school just becomes the vehicle. The the charter school is the car that drives you from where you are uh, to where you want to be. And so it's, that's how I see it. So when I, when I look at our charter schools, I'm always looking at them in, well, what particular need are are they responding to? So I, I mentioned one earlier that is is a school that, that we're getting ready to open in Lexington County with two thousand students, which is a I think will be the largest brick and mortar charter school in the state when that opens. And I get a
0: lot of questions about that school <laughs> because it's right <laughs> off of I twenty yeah. right there at uh, Highway six.
1: Um, and so when you look at that community, Lexington County is I think it's a it's a what I would call a culturally cohesive community. I think they have good shared values there. Uh, it has Lexington this particular part of Lexington County the school district is is really a pretty good school district uh, academically but the need that th- I think this particular model is is addressing is people's desire for their children to be educated in an environment where you know th- there's a dress code where the boys are taught social norms they can't have long hair they don't get to have facial hair you know, they're again putting them under that authority and, and teaching them in what would be termed a moral and wholesome uh, environment with a respect for our Western traditions and our and our Western foundations. So doing all of that, but also giving them the opportunity to play on a world class football program and, and you know world class football fields and
0: and they love yeah, their sports. Over and they there, love Washington their sports
1: County, yeah. and you know even to do ballroom dancing. Uh, you know, so having those those cultural opportunities. But I was shocked when six thousand families signed up for for two thousand slots in that in that. School district in that community, but again, it, it's the need. It's it's you know, now we're thinking we should maybe do another school uh, over there as well. But you see that that's what parents are looking for right now. They're looking for a moral and wholesome environment that provides a, a well-rounded uh, education that respects the values uh, of our country. And people are flocking to it. So you know that's just one example. But but that is really an innovation uh, in that instance because. While I think pieces of that are being done in different parts of that county, I think this is the first time it's all been put together uh, in a single package. And and I think what the opportunity is, is that that operation when we you know we do this school, maybe we open another one over there as well in different part of the county. It's going to I think show the traditional the local district you know what kind of opportunities are there for them to meet the needs of of their families as well. And so our hope is is that we will be able to leverage these operations to positively impact the traditional districts and the, and the other well, students was, as well. Well, that was
0: the intent of the law was actually to give our traditional districts an opportunity to learn how, when you remove a lot of the, the barriers, the, the bureaucracy, the red tape, you give schools more autonomy, you give teachers more autonomy in the classroom, that with innovation and the right curriculum and the right values... That could be transferred over to the traditional district from the learning of the charter school. I mean, that was the whole intent. It was not for charter schools to come in and put other schools out of business. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're actually trying to make all of us better so parents just have a lot of great choices for their kids. And on that note, you know, you and I know the Charter Act in South Carolina very well. And at the very beginning of the Charter Act is the purpose. And under the purpose, there's seven points. And in the last point, there's a specific line about the purpose of charter schools is to help close the achievement gap for special populations. Talk about how important that is.
1: It, it really is important because, you know, in the, the, the motto of South Carolina is, while I breathe, I hope, right? And, and I think that's the spirit of South Carolina that, that we believe that there should be hope and opportunity for everybody, regardless of, of your circumstances. Put another way, we believe in equality of opportunity. We don't believe in equality of outcomes, but we do believe in equality of opportunity and, and making sure that every child has that opportunity, regardless of whatever the the circumstances are uh, their their family, their their parentage, the whatever situation may be going on in their lives, because that child is a unique individual, and in, in my worldview, says that child is a unique individual made in the image of God and has uh, value. Amen to that. On just because of that, the, the imago wow. Dei is imprinted on that child, and so I think it is, is incumbent upon us to, to ensure that as best we can that we create opportunity for, for every child. And it, it doesn't matter. There's not one child. In the eyes of God, there's not one child that's more valuable than another. There's just not. That's not how it works. That's not reality. Um and I, you know, we can certainly admit that, you know, historically, not just in America, but in all over the world. I mean, that's the natural way that people tend to segment themselves. Um but I think is, is people who see the world the way that we do and have our values and have our traditional Western values in particular, um, that we need to embody what those Western values, those Western traditions uh, mean and represent. And, and we can we reflect that, we show that into the culture. And one of the ways that we do that is by working and laboring. You know, for us right now, it's in places like Orangeburg uh, to, to create opportunity in a place like that or, or you know, inner city school like Clear Dot. Uh, it has a, a very diverse population of students, and so we um, that that's got to be just an emphasis point of of what we're trying to do. It it'd be very easy for us to go into certain communities and open charter schools, and and, and you know they'll all be you know nationally recognized schools uh, of excellence in some form or another, um, and we maybe look really good on paper, but are we having an impact on a true generation of students if we're doing that?
0: And I love I, that. I love. I love that. It's that's really what it's all about. So, as we start to conclude the podcast today, I, I've got one last question for you. So, we've got a lot of a lot of friends, charter school advocates, school choice parents, teachers, school leaders, and so forth that are listening. But we also have some people that are some critics. They uh, are not big fans of school choice. Maybe not a big fan of charter schools. You and I both know there's a lot of myths out there about charter schools that are just not true. We're public. We accept every child. You know, we're, we're not private. Uh, there's no cost or tuition. But I want you to give me your elevator pitch. So you're on an elevator with somebody, and they find out you're the superintendent of the charter institute at, at Erskine. And they really are a little suspect about this charter school thing what is your pitch to them? Why charters?
1: Well, I don't know that I have an elevator pitch per se for why charters, but but I will appeal to a principle. And that principle is, is that the state of South Carolina, local communities, me as a taxpayer, you as a taxpayer, we're investing significant resources, not into buildings, not into bureaucracies, not into systems. No, we're investing significant resources into children. The money that we as a state, as a community, as individuals pay in, in, in taxes or in other donations that we make, again, is supposed to be for a child. And at the end of the day, that's the prize. That's what really matters. It's that individual, that child, that if we're not making that investment for them, nobody else is going to make it for them so philosophically, that's how I see the resources that are invested. And I think it really usually, the, the rub comes down to the resources, right? I mean, let's right. be honest, yeah. it's about money. Absolutely, um, That money belongs to that child. That money belongs yep. to that family. It doesn't belong to the government. It doesn't belong to a school district. It doesn't belong to you or me. It belongs to that child. And the parents of that child know better than anyone else what is best for that child. The government does not know best. You and I don't know best. The parent knows what's best for that child, and so those parents deserve the opportunity to utilize those resources in a way that is best suited for their child. That's going to best benefit their child. And you know, I, I make it eggs thrown at me when I walk out the door here, but I'm a purist in that, and I take that to its logical end. And so, if you know, like they did in Arizona this year yeah, absolutely. With, with true universal school choice. Because if, if if your principle is the dollars belong to the child, then at the end of the day, the dollars belong to the child. And so the parents get to should be able to use those dollars, be it a charter school, be it a traditional public school, be it a homeschool co-op, uh, be it a private school, uh, be it a religious private school, in my opinion. They should be able to use those dollars the way that the people of this state intended them, and that's true choice. That is that is true choice. That is a true marketplace. We talked about competition when we opened. If you want to really reform education in any state, not just South Carolina, in any state, you have to do it by creating mechanisms for market based competition, and that's what charters do. Uh, I think we're having a and increasingly beginning to have an outsized uh, impact. But you know, personally, I think if, if you're going to say you believe in choice. You can't say I believe in choice for some, but not for others, right? That comes down to what yeah. we were just saying a few minutes ago about different races and, and others, that we've we got to create choice for everybody. The same thing goes, I think, with the dollars, and, and I'd love to see a day when the dollars really follow the child. And what I know if that happens is that you and I will get better because we'll have to. Our schools will get better because they'll have to. Traditional districts will get better because they'll have to. Private schools will get better because they have to. But the real winner in that is the next generation of South Carolinians. And that's what we need to be about.
0: Well, that's what we all are all are fighting for and uh giving every child a voice and a choice. All children. Uh Cameron, I can't thank you enough for being on the Kids First Podcast. I appreciate uh the, the relationship and friendship that we share uh it's amazing when you think back over the last three school years what we've done together um not only in terms of the work we do together with our two districts the kids first conference the the collaboration at the state house the support from the governor and the general assembly of course the new funding formula where the money follows the child there's so many more things too that we've discussed that are on the horizon so i'm, I'm really excited but more importantly i i appreciate your story uh relate to your why and I love your passion and your desire to put all kids first. It, it, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to those that are listening. So I just wanted to say, thank you.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you. And thank you for taking this uh, challenge on uh, running a school district as as you know, firsthand is it's uh, not for the lighthearted, it's, not, it's no small, small task. And a charter district is, is really unique uh, as well because we don't have the the level of control that, that other districts do and so we, we have to work through persuasion and, and using sound arguments and sound judgment and, and all those business skills it, that you and i learned along right. the way. uh so it, it's a it's a very rewarding uh profession though so glad to, to be part of it with you so thank you for having me
0: well thank you cameron and again thank you listeners and friends i appreciate you joining us for the kids first podcast tune in next week for another guest that we'll bring in and talk about their why why they put kids first thank you very much